Well, I'd like to say that uh, we saved the best for last, but I think after hearing all the other guys' messages, we're probably, you guys are just dealing with leftovers. Um, it's probably why like a third of the guys already left. It's probably led, leading by the Spirit, but, um, and I do appreciate that, that Fritz was here last night. So another short, bald man um, who's also really good looking. And uh, we appreciate stages, even though um, I'm a little bit afraid of heights. Um, I'm definitely not going to jump down like, like Jacob did earlier. But uh, uh, being short's kind of a blessing because you get all kinds of jokes. None of them good, but they're really, there's a lot of, a lot of jokes. And it makes you, if, uh, if a person's joke is about your physical appearance first, you already know this is going to be easy. Because if you can only make fun of something that someone can't help, then I know there's no creativity there. Just like if we were to make jokes about, you know, Jason's face. It's like, that's not his fault. You know what I mean? God made him that way. He didn't mess up. He had a plan in that. Just like he has a plan in me being short and bald. But, what's that? What'd you say? I already mentioned the bald, bro. I already mentioned it. So, um, this morning we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 20 in a few verses and then 21. But uh, Acts chapter 20 verse 17 is where we're going to be starting. And, man, I'll tell you what. um, Fritz last night was mentioning uh, the hairs on his neck standing up and in reference to being bald. And I, and I I can attest to that. It's kind of like... When a person's blind, they have a lot more like attuned hearing because all your other senses are heightened. So when you're bald, any hair on your body is totally sensitive to anything that's going on. So when the, the, the hairs on the back of a bald man's neck start coming up, you know something's about to happen. So you better pay attention. Appreciate that. Let's, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to do a miracle. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for your grace. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, God, for worship together as brothers. And I thank you, God, because of the acoustics of this building. It's like singing in the shower, and we sounded great. And uh, no distractions, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, and we know that that's some of the stuff that we're going to be doing forever in your kingdom. Just praising you, never tiring. And I pray, Lord, that even with our attention to your word this morning, that it would just be another act of worship. And that, Father, we'd allow your Holy Spirit to penetrate to the deepest, darkest, ugliest parts of our heart. And expose them to the light. And Lord, I just thank you for just the opportunity for us to be able to be here in this place, in this place of beauty, where we get to see your fresh paintings every morning. And I just pray again for the work of your spirit, that he would be unhindered in what he wants to do in each of our hearts, Lord, and especially mine. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 20. I'm not very good at titling messages, as you guys can see, um, <laughs> because I wanted to talk about stubbornness. And the word stubborn in Scripture goes along with the idea of stiff-necked Israel and you know setting yourself against the Lord. But I see in every sinful act, I see... Um, what God wired us for initially, and we've t- taken it and kind of perverted it, 
I see that there's this desire within us to stand firm. Just too often as men, we end up standing firm against the Lord, getting ourselves in all kind of trouble. But the word stubborn really just means immovable. And so there can be a good connotation to it if it's in a spirit-filled life. And I see Paul, and that's the word that comes to my mind. I see stubborn. That dude was immovable when faced with adverse situations, but he was unstoppable in his being led by the Holy Spirit. And I think, again, both of those are a lot of the same thing. And I really, really want to tap into that myself. And I think about, of course, the bad side of stubbornness. And I know this because I have a son who is exactly like me. His name is Eli. His full name is Elisha. And that was on purpose because of the bald story. Um, I'm serious. Um, we had uh, My godson's name is Elijah. And Elisha was the one who came after Elijah. But then there's that awesome story about the she-bears mauling all those teenagers um, for you know making reference to his calling to God. But there's also a mention of bald. So again... Great opportunity, and uh, and I started. I cut my cut my teeth in ministry and youth ministry, and it was a great story to kind of retell the youth constantly when they kept making comments about bald, and especially when we were up in the mountains. And you know, let's read the story of Elisha. But anyhow, Eli is a lot like me, and I mean, he is so stubborn. He is so immovable, and. When I'm trying to discipline him and instruct him and teach him, and he will not budge, and he will argue at every point. He is so stubborn that I have a respect for him. Like, I am like, if, if Jesus can, like, just flip the switch on that stubbornness and, and it be used for his glory, he is going to be like Paul, unstoppable. Because that kid, man, like I said, I just got respect for him. My other son, Jonah, all I have to do is raise my voice. And he would just crumble and cry. Okay, you know. And he got spankings. Like, I can count on one hand how many spankings he got in his whole life. Eli, on the other hand, though, could get that many in a day and still be grinning with that ornery, like, what are you going to do now, old man? You know? And uh, please, if you know him, please don't tell him this because it will only empower him. Um, but I respect his stubbornness. It's just really unfortunate that he's using it selfishly. Now, on the other hand, it's, the stubbornness runs in the family, but it's definitely a spiritual tra- straight, a trait because my sister, um, five years ago, actually a little less than five years ago, she was diagnosed with stage four breast, liver, adrenal gland, and backbone cancer. Okay? And they gave her six months to live. And then last year in January, so January 2017, she had a brain tumor and had to get it removed. It was the size of a golf ball. And as of about three months ago, she's cancer-free. Now, let me tell you something. Yeah, glory to God. God used a natural trait of my sister's in a supernatural way, my sister's stubbornness. Um, again, it's a family trait. And... My sister gave her life to the Lord a few years back and couldn't have a child. And her and my brother-in-law tried for 20 years from the the time they were 19 and 20 all the way up until they were about 40. And it was when 
she finally got pregnant after much prayer. And really, after she had been saved for about six years and just praying continually, she got pregnant. And what's crazy, this is actually part of what contributed to her very quick onset of cancer. Because she ended up having a lump in her breast. They checked it. They said it was fine. Come back in six months. Uh, again, being the stubborn person that she is, didn't want to go to the doctor. A year later, she, she's in that stage four state. So it just like aggressively took over. But again, my sister determined in her heart that God was going to heal her. And he did. And, it, and she, she knew it wasn't going to be an instant thing. She knew it was going to be a journey. She knew it was going to be painful. She knew it was going to be uncomfortable, that it was going to be scary and hard. She knew that going into it. And she walked all the way through that. And she started out in that cancer center with, I think, 14 other people. And every single one of them has died since then. But God used her. And again, the thing that really set my sister apart, the doctors just talked about, was this incredible determination that she is going to be healed. And I really believe that God could do the same thing in you and I and flip that switch. I mean, the the difference that that makes is the Holy Spirit. Because we're all stubborn turds anyway, right? All of us. Any session of, of marriage counseling that I've ever been in, I've always seen one of the biggest problems is that it's not that the couple has differences. It's that they're both stubborn. And they don't want to budge. But if the Holy Spirit could come in and flip the switch and turn that stubbornness into something spiritual, something that just will keep you from ever being moved by situations and ever stopping when he gets you moving, that's basically what you see in the life of Paul. He was stubborn before. He was ready to pursue the church all the way to Damascus. None of the other Jews even cared that much. Paul's like, no, we're going to chase them down and we're going to kill every single one of them and their grandma and their dog. And, and He went for it all the way. But on that road... As, as you guys heard Friday night, that switch was flipped. The light was turned on. Holy Spirit came in. And that's what I want to have happen in my life too. And, and it has a lot to do with what Paul says in um, verse 24 of chapter 20. We'll do a little bit more uh, dive in, but verse 24 kind of being our, the main verse today. And the key, he says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't count, consider his life as valuable. He didn't count it as dear. My son Eli doesn't count authority as valuable or dear. It's not valuable. It's not dear at this point in his life, which is why he's, so, he's able to be so effectively stubborn. Because there's no value in him, at least in his mind, in submitting. And my sister placed absolutely no value in trying to stay comfortable or embracing what she was told was the inevitable, that she was going to die. She's like, I don't place any value in that. And that, that's the real turning point in us is changing our minds so that God can change our hearts, right? And when we look at Paul and we see how stubborn he was, but not just simply stubborn, he was stubbornly spirit-filled and led. And as Fritz mentioned last night in Acts 16, 
The earthquake shook the ground and the jail and even the jailer, but it didn't shake Paul and Silas. You understand? If anything, it just freed them. Even though it's an earthquake. I've been in a couple, lived in central and southern California, nothing major like crazy, but where I woke up and everything was like, you know. And I'll tell you what, life feels like that a lot. There's crazy stuff happening all the time. And the ground underneath us is shaking. There's a reason why Jesus talked about where you have your house built. So Paul, he was immovable in circumstances and unstoppable in the movement of the Spirit as we looked at the the rock and roll road show. That thing did not stop. The tour kept going all the way until the goal of Paul giving up his life for Jesus. So that stubbornness goes both in not being moved by circumstances, but not being stopped when the Holy Spirit is taking the lead. So back to chapter 20, let's just read a little bit. Verse 17, here's what's happening, just a little bit of context. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and just hold on for a second, understand when he called and said, hey, come meet me, I want to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. He's already about 12 days after Passover. He's only got a few, he's only got some time to get down to Jerusalem before Pentecost. That's his goal. It's a single idea. He doesn't want to waste no time traveling around, but he still wants to to have a chance knowing there's a good chance he's going to die. So he wants to impart some blessings, some encouragement to the Ephesian elders, a.k.a. pastors. And so I don't know if, you've, if you realize this in the context of this, but they're traveling 30 to 36 miles by foot, maybe by mule. So it's quite a trek and quite a thing to ask of the guys. Hey, uh, you guys want to meet up by the sea? I'm going to head out and I uh, just got like a, you know, what's this, like a three-minute sermon? I just want to share with you guys. And so 36 miles, you do, what? who's good at math? Like 20 minutes a mile, like how... How much time is that just walking? Like, that's insane. Did somebody say it? Day and a half by horse. Longer than that. Point is, they traveled quite a distance to hear from Paul. And I think that's pretty interesting. And if any of you guys have ever, if any of you guys that aren't pastors, if you've ever wanted to go to a pastor's conference, this one right here is the best one. Okay? I'm going to have to just say Paul, the pastor of pastors, would probably give the best message at at a pastor's conference. So if you've never been invited to a pastor's conference, good. They're kind of lame anyway, in my opinion. But, um, just kidding, they're not. But this is the most powerful. Because, I mean, it, it includes everything that's needed for ministry. So, and if you're a father, if you're a husband then you have, you have a church that you're a pastor of. Your home church. You know? I talk with our church all the time about my first church is, is the Bacon Church. And then the wider body. Because I'm disqualified to lead the church of God if I'm not leading the church at my home. And, and so all men, we're all called into leadership. We're all called to lead and serve. So your home, that's your flock. And if you're single... I don't know, your roommates, uh, your puppy, I don't know, but you've got something. 
And God will keep bringing that, and you'll have other people that you have influence on. But the point is, is that all of us are called in that sense as pastors and priests of our home. Continuing on, he said to them, here's the sermon, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. It doesn't move me so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or counsel of God. Now, this is actually encouraging and it kind of reminds me of um, Daniel. And uh, we just had a youth retreat last weekend and we studied the life of Daniel, who probably was somewhere around 15 years old when he got called. But the thing that's really incredible about Daniel chapter 1, and for a lot of us, you know, the later chapters are the more exciting, fun stuff, end times, all that. But I think the most exciting chapter is number 1. And that's because we would not be able to have anything in the later chapters, the revelation that God gave him in so many ways, if we did not have this statement that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not partake of the king's delicacies. He purposed in his heart. That just means he made up his mind. He made up his mind. He just decided, this is, I'm not going to do this. He knew God wanted him to be set apart, so he made up his mind to be set apart. My wife has, as part of her testimony, a couple of years of meth use. People that know her have a hard time believing that. Um, but I think it was in my favor. I think just enough of her brain, the part that like governs judgment, <laughs> standards, and that kind of thing, was messed up just enough so I could kind of get in there. I'm kind of like Jason mentioned with his wife, kind of the bait and switch. I had hair at the time, looked pretty good, and then like the day after, I went fat and bald. Um, <laughs> so pray for her. She's a godly woman. But uh, she is an 80s kid like me, Went through the 80s and the whole dare, dare to keep kids off of drugs. Cheesy, mostly ineffective. With her, she rolled her eyes at that. I'm actually one of the 1% that that actually worked on. For her, when drugs were offered to her, she was like, sweet, I'm down. For me, it was like, just say no, man, just say no. And it worked. And so when people were like, dude, you want some of this? I'm like... No, no. And then in my mind, just say no. Dare to say no. You know, and it worked. 
And here's the thing. I wasn't even a believer. And all my friends were at least potheads, if not into a lot heavier stuff. And so in my head, I always had just say no or pass the joint or whatever. And so I never got high on illegal drugs. I'm sure I've been high on legal stuff before. I don't know. I've had a couple of NyQuil hangovers and such, but um, (laughs) some of you guys had those this morning. But here's the thing. Even as a non-believer, okay, I stubbornly decided, made up my mind, I'm not going to touch drugs. Now, I couldn't make up my mind in in any other ways. I definitely didn't make up my mind I didn't want to touch women. That was a big problem. But I made up my mind that I wasn't going to touch that. And I'm sure today if I said, hey, afterwards we're going to have some time of prayer, and after that if you guys want to kind of line up over here and come to each one of us pastors, and uh, we're all going to give you guys a free kick in the, in the junk. Um, so who's down? Anybody? Yeah, Jason's into it, but that's, yeah, it's only one guy. Because you've made up your mind through experiences that's not going to be worth anything to me except for some pain. And then I'm going to go to jail for murdering a short bald man, you know. <laughs> and it's terrible to say that about Fritz, but he's a good dude. And I'm sure that you thought about it if he actually did that to you. But no, he wouldn't be the one. It'd be, you guys already want to like punch me. So the point is, if I make up my mind and the Holy Spirit empowers me, there is nothing, nothing. That can move me. Nothing. If I said, then, hey, we're going to line dudes up and anybody that can take a kick to the groin is going to get $100 million. Yeah. Now, Jason's like, well, dude, let's do it. You're short anyway. You can't even kick that high. Let's do this, you know? (laughs) Challenge accepted. But if you knew $100 million was waiting at the end of that, You might consider it. And I just challenge you to understand that this life, honestly, feels like you're getting kicked in the junk a lot. The most sensitive areas of your life are what get targeted by Satan. And you know that. And a lot of bros, you guys have seen it, a lot of bros are not walking with the Lord today because they got tired of getting kicked in the junk. And so they gave up because they forgot about the prize. They forgot about what's waiting both now in this life and the next. They lost sight of that. And when I get discouraged and frustrated and start going my own way, I'm doing the same thing. Because I've forgotten, I haven't kept my mind made up under the influence of God's Spirit to press on, to persevere, to be stubborn by the Spirit. And I think that's it. Paul had his mind made up to be immovable and unstoppable. And you know why? Because he took his own advice. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you or have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Which was what? He took the form of a servant. He came and humbled himself. Paul took his own advice. Change your mind. Let the mind of Christ be in you. And then the actions... The faith, the outpouring of Jesus will also be coming out of your life. So often we're trying to just mimic. And we are supposed to imitate God as dear children, as Paul also told us. 
But it has to come first from your mind being made up. That the goal is to become like him. So often we're just trying to copy. And you know the difference between a kid who's really wanting to learn and a kid who just wants to look cool and grown up. The ones who are trying to look grown up are the ones out behind the high school vaping. Like the nerdiest form of smoking. Anyway, it's just my personal judgy opinion. But they're, they're over here and they're vaping because they want to look grown up. It's the same reason I took my stepdad's cigarettes, went in the backyard with my friends, didn't inhale because I was freaked out about that stuff in my lungs, but puffed it in my mouth to look cool. That's me mimicking what I think looks mature. But when I actually made up my mind that I wanted to grow up, that's when I started taking the cues of my Father in Heaven. And that's what He wants to do in us, but it starts here. You guys know that. This is where the battle, this is where the battle takes place. But this is what has to change. But it can't stop there, obviously. It's got to it's got to be completely internal as well. But it starts there. And he had took his own advice, having this mind in you that's also in, in Jesus. This text, this section here in chapter 20, it shows at least, and I'm not super observant, so I grabbed four, but maybe you would have grabbed more. But there's at least four pictures that Paul gives of how he saw himself and why he wouldn't and couldn't quit. Why he was immovable and unstoppable. So let's just roll through that together. First thing. Paul Paul saw himself as an investor. Paul is an investor. And he's his his only currency is his life. My life, this is what I got. Everything else I'm not going to be able to take with me. What I've got is right here, my life. He's an investor and He makes the Holy Spirit his accountant. And he listens to the Holy Spirit in saying, put it all on the gospel. Put it all on the gospel. The whole row of chips right on that. The entire thing. And as the Holy Spirit is his accountant, as Jackie referenced um, Friday night, Philippians chapter 3, I just want to read again. This This is Paul's assessment of his investment. He says, brothers, beware of the dogs, verse 2, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, no investment in the flesh. We're not putting a single dollar on the flesh because it's like throwing it away. No confidence in the flesh. He goes, and if somebody wanted to put confidence in the flesh, let me show you let me share with you my previous investments. All the money I put on there and why I thought it was a good bet. And he gives all this and he goes, Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. And that's kind of a brag, right? Because Benjamin and Joseph were the favorite kids, right? Yeah, that's not the Messiah's line, but those are the favorite kids. Those are the, those are the kids born from the woman who was loved and not he was tricked into marrying. So that's kind of significant. Hebrew of Hebrews. As far as the law of Pharisee, as far as zeal and excitement, I persecuted the church. Like, I didn't even have to. But I, I'm, I'm taking trips everywhere, taking time off work so I can beat up Christians. As to the righteousness which is in the law, nobody could catch me on nothing. Blameless. But whatever things were gained to me then, all that stuff that I invested into then, 
just had to write it off as a loss. Because I'll take not a single penny from that with me into eternity. Not a single thing. He goes, even more than that, not, not only those are counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things. So he's like, not just all of that stuff that I invested in, but everything about me. Everything about me, I count as loss in view of, here's why. When you compare on a scale in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, and the King James is the best, dung, crap, garbage, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And I want to suggest a very profound truth in there that can get lost just skimming over it. That's the only way to find Christ, is to lose everything. So many of us, we repent. We give our life to Jesus. But it's really hard to see anything really changed. You know, I thought first year I was saved, it was pretty cool that I stopped cussing. As if that's the goal. You know, I'm going to stand before the Lord and He's going to be like, you did pretty good. Like you only thought one of those, you know, the S words and the F word almost came to your mind, but you pushed it right out. And so come on into heaven, you know, as if that's the biggest issue. We know that that only just comes out. That kind of foul language only just comes out of a foul heart. It's not even that's not even an issue. But I started thinking that that was kind of like what I needed to do. And I started doing again that that the, the bad kind of imitating, imitating legalism instead of, you know, letting the Lord change my heart. But he says, I gave up everything. I count it all like garbage. And if Paul was a germaphobe like me, you don't want to touch trash. You don't want to touch poop. I know some of you guys got to deal with it on, on the daily and you got boots covered in it. And praise God for men like you because I am not a man in that way. I'll just admit that. Germaphobe all the way, washing my hands, shaking hands with this hand, eating with this one because I don't know where your hands have been. I'm the dude, and I, and I remind the church all the time, if I'm in a public restroom or at the church building, and there's a little boy in there washing, or, you know, going to the bathroom, and he starts to make a beeline for the door, I go, hey, go wash your hands, you dirtbag. I'll do it every time. Unashamed. A couple of times, the little boy's like, okay. It's okay, bud. Just wash your hands. Be a man. Don't be gross. I saw where your hands went. We ain't, no, we ain't doing that. But Paul looked at that as disgusting filth. I think some of us look at it as, yeah, it's probably not the best thing for me, but it's all right. But just like I'm repulsed by the little boy who doesn't wash his hands after going number one and number two, comes out of there and wants to just beeline for the donuts, you know. I need to feel that way. I need to, I need to consider everything in my life that is not completely under the lordship of Jesus as just as disgusting. That's what Paul did. It's a value system. So he saw himself as an investor, the Holy Spirit, his accountant. And let me just make another little point on that. Deuteronomy 20. If you read that, it's a really interesting, interesting situation. But concerning warfare, 
One of the instructions was given, if you, if you have a new house, if you have a new vineyard, if you have a new wife or fear, go home because you're going to end up dying on the battlefield. And why is that? Because your attention is divided. A new wife, you guys know what that's like. Like first year of marriage. You don't have to explain that. Young man, just like, I want to be with my wife. Because she's pretty, you know. <laughs> a few years down the line, you love your wife, but it's not, you're not like this little, you know, hornball or whatever. New wife, new house too. Man, there's so many projects. I got to get this finished. I got to do this. Man, I would love to go to war. And I can come and help out a little bit, but I got this thing. I got this stuff. New vineyard, new business venture. And then fear. Fear really is all of those other things, but it's just the direct result. Because it's basically, I am so invested in so many other things that I could possibly lose those if I go to battle for the Lord. And I don't know if I can do that. And that kind of person is going to die on the battlefield because they're not focused. And that's the same thing that will happen to us because we don't see God's kingdom as a worthy investment. But Paul did. He made up his mind, this is an investment worth giving everything up for. And that's exactly what Jesus says when he says, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Second way Paul, at least in this sermon, sees himself is sees himself as an athlete. He's a runner, he's an athlete. Sees himself as someone who has the Holy Spirit as his coach. And he, he says that right there. I just want to finish my course, my race. That's all that matters to me. I'm an athlete with a goal in mind. The finish line. Holy Spirit is my coach. And notice this, he says, my course. He's not comparing himself to everybody else. Saying, well, as long as I stay ahead of you fools, I'm looking pretty good spiritually. Some of you dudes are doing that. You know how I know? Because I do that. We as men are excellent at measuring each other up. That's why I make the short jokes first before anybody else does. Right away you're like, short dude. He really needs the stage. If he jumped down to the floor, nobody behind the second row could see him. All that stuff starts going into your head right away because that's what we do. We measure dudes up. And you either are looking at someone as a man in your flesh and going, I could take him. Or you're like me and you're like, I could take him to the movies and I could insult him until he cried. I could take him verbally. Whatever. We're just trying to always compete. Always. And if it's not sports, if it's not intellect and like, Who's got the coolest stories and who sounds the best when they tell one and all that other stuff? Dude, we all clowning. That's been happening this whole weekend. I've been partaking of it too. It's my flesh. It's stupid. Paul says it's my course. He knew that our course is the gospel. But he says my course, my race, it's not the same as yours. What God's doing in your life is not the same as mine. So I ain't tripping with what God's doing with you. As long as you're surrendering, bro, we're on the same page. But Paul looked at it as his race, his course, single-minded. And of course, he decides because he's an athlete and the Holy Spirit's his coach, he's going to take the training, the discipline, 
take it seriously as his coach will advise him to. And let that coach have complete control over what he eats and everything he does. A person fully surrendered to a good coach is going to win. And he understood that. That's another way he saw himself. It's not just as an investor, but as an athlete. The other, the other way he sees himself, at least here in this sermon, is as a steward. And he says, what I receive from the Lord. Paul says that a lot in his letters and his talks. What I receive from the Lord. I'm only given what I've been given. If I try to give something else that's from me, I'm going to cloud it up, mess it up, and it's just going to be a mess and nobody's going to remember it or care. But if I'm giving only the stuff that I got, that's a steward. And a steward, the father being the owner, being the master, the steward owns nothing. I mean, he's got maybe private quarters and a few little things he's bought with the money, but he really owns nothing. The stuff he's in charge of is not his. But what's crazy he owns nothing, but he has control of everything. That's some crazy understanding there, that you own nothing when you give your life to Jesus, but you have control of everything in your life. That's scary. The stewardship with what you've been given. That's why when we look at sin, we fool ourselves and we go, but I ain't hurting nobody with this secret sin inside. Dude, you're, you're sinning with God's body. With his mind. You, when you gave it to him, he took it. He took you serious, whether you were serious or not. Your stewardship's with everything. You don't have to have a wife and kids to have that. Everything. It's his. And if that's true, then my purpose is to serve and profit my master. That's what I, that's what I took the job for. Everything I do, every joke I tell, everything I spend money on, every little bit of snacks. And I always take a fair share. Seriously, 10 pounds on me looks like 50 pounds on Jason. I'm just saying, it's, that's the other thing about being short that's not such a blessing. You eat, you gain 10 pounds, you look like you weigh 300 but the point is, I'm a steward of everything. Things that go in my mouth, things that come out of my mouth, all of it. And I need to understand myself as that. And <clears throat> I need to look at myself kind of like a sprinkler. I'm not the source of the water. I'm not the one that brings life to, to the grass. I am simply a distributor from the source. That's it. I'm only being used as, an, as a conduit for that to be spread. I stop flowing. Another sprinkler is going to come along. I'm going to be chucked. You got a sprinkler that don't work. You can't fix it. You throw it away. You get another one. I immediately lose my effectiveness when I stop letting God flow through me. And if I'm not letting him pour into me, I got nothing to give to anybody else. And the more that I start letting go, the more that gets turned up, and then the effectiveness gets spread and spread even further and further. And then maybe eventually I could be like a valve and distributing to other sprinklers and whatever else. But the point is, I'm a steward. I can't manufacture the grace of God. All I do is share what I've received myself. 
And that's the way Paul saw himself. The other thing, the last thing that I caught, again, I only caught four. I'm sure most of you guys are a lot smarter than me. You probably caught a lot more, but is he saw himself as a watchman. And I noticed what some, something he says there. And he says, uh, I testify you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Well, Paul being a student of the word, I like to think that I am, but Paul is a student of the word. Obviously, it reminds me of like Ezekiel chapter 3. About the steward sitting out at the gate. And if he knows, if he knows there's an attack coming and he doesn't say nothing, he's guilty of the blood of the people who are taken. Those who are hurt. If he knows there's some calamity coming and he doesn't warn anyone, that's on his head. The blood is on his head. And Paul was like, I ain't got nobody's blood on me. Because every chance I got, I told somebody. Judgment's coming. It's real. Kingdom of God is real. You need to be a part of it or you're you're going to be surrendered over to the kingdom of darkness. You're going to end up in the lake of fire. Paul didn't hold back from anyone. Man, I cannot say that if I'm honest. I cannot say that. I'm real selective with who I tell that to. But he didn't hold back from anything. I mean, I don't know anybody else that could say that. I'm not saying that anybody else couldn't. I'm just saying, I, we don't, Peter doesn't say that. Mr. Foot in the Mouth, Peter doesn't even say that. I ain't done nothing wrong. I always told everybody everything. No. Peter doesn't say it. Paul says that because he saw himself as a watchman testifying. So as a watchman, you know, so as an investor, the Holy Spirit is his accountant. As an athlete, the Holy Spirit is his coach. As a steward, the Father is his master, his owner. As a watchman, Jesus is the commissioner. That crazy, like life-changing, two-letter word that Jesus said when he said, Go! Preach the gospel to every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them, discipling them in everything that I have commanded you. That is being a watchman. And preaching the kingdom is priority number one above everything else. Without, without question. Not, well, i got to keep my business relationship business. And like i got to keep you know, my faith on the side. And if they ask me... I'm not saying you got to go try to get your job taken from you and find a way to get fired. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, what if God told you that? That's a terrible thing to say, right? Especially for somebody who, uh, who gets paid from people giving their financial donations to the church. It's a sketchy thing to say. But what if God has told you that job is not priority number one? And that it's always conflicting with the gospel. And that taking a job flipping burgers would be better for the kingdom. If that's possible, and I'm not saying it's what God's telling you to do, but if that's possible, are you willing to do that? Because you're a watchman. And a watchman can't go, well, you know, I was going to tell everybody that there was this impending doom, but I had this responsibility to stay on post. And if I would have left post, that's, I'm not doing my job. So, I mean, I feel like I need to be a good steward of my job. And then when, you know, if people came and asked me, hey, is there anything happening? Oh, yeah, there's an impending doom coming. I mean, if they come to me, I'll tell them. But I ain't going to go out there. I ain't going to leave my post. All I'm saying is, if God's telling you to do something, you know it's sure. And I'm getting it. Don't take this and go, you know, hey, honey, I think God wants me to get fired. <laughs> Unless you think God's telling you to do I'm, All I'm saying is, we can't make excuses if we're watchmen. If we're the ones 
who are supposed to be telling this world what's up. And not just in a jerky, hey, you're going to hell. You're a bad neighbor, so I'm stoked to tell you that. You really, that guy, that guy, man, that guy in the, in the later shift, that guy is so annoying, I'm going to preach the gospel to him. I'm going to really emphasize hell. No, I'm talking about being a person who takes this calling and lets their life be completely surrendered to it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's like, I'm a watchman. I'm, I'm not guilty of the blood of any man because I, I didn't hold back with anyone. And I can't say that up to this day. I cannot say that. But I think I could from this day on. I think I could make that decision. You read in, in chapter 21 this other situation and Paul's still on his way. He sails from you know that area where he met with these guys. He's done with his little sermon. Takes off. And they, they got to uh, they, they came from Tyre. They arrived in, in Ptolemas and all this stuff happens. And then it says they entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven. We stayed with him. Verse 9 of chapter 21. Now we this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And we were staying there for some days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt. I don't know about you, but some dude just coming for my belt and did not even say nothing. I'd be like, what the? He grabs his belt, binds his own feet and hands. So he's got to be at least hunched over, if not laying down. And he says... This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, that's, that's a trip. Because Paul talked about wanting the life and to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. And you can see, especially Luke, accentuating all the ways that Paul's life paralleled the life of Jesus, including knowing going into Jerusalem was going to be him being delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. And that's just a trip. And then it says, And when he had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, Holy Spirit's telling you not to go. Actually, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell him he's not going. He's just telling him what's going to happen. And they're like, Paul, come on, dude, please stay. Because see, that's when, when we hear that kind of stuff, we would take that as, oh, there's going to be trials, so let's try to avoid this route. Bad roads? Yep, we're going to stay home or we're going to just go around it. The Lord's like, no, I just told you there are bad roads. Not because I didn't want you to go, just so you knew there are bad roads. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's not him saying, so just jump out of the world and hide and bubble up. No, because be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And that's not the Lord saying, you won't go through tribulation and trial. That's him saying, I'll just be with you. So Paul gets that message and he's like, okay. And they're just begging and begging and begging. And then Paul says, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. All right, it's in God's hands. And Paul's like, Yeah, it is. But wait, what, what made Paul that incredibly unstoppable in the move of the Spirit, immovable 
with all of the issues in life and the trials, that never give up, never surrender attitude actually comes from surrender. And I think, I think Jackie touched on it Friday night. I wasn't here, but I've heard it so. We come right back to the beginning, and that is it's surrender. It's you mentally submitting to God's desires over your own. That's letting the Holy Spirit take control. That's allowing the Spirit to flow through you. And then God will do some incredibly crazy things, but that's not the goal. The goal is for the glory of God and the sharing of that gospel that changes people's lives. See, uh, I've been in a few different stages in my life as a Christian, and I'll just finish with a little story. I've been a Christian for 22 years now. Got saved when I was 16 um, by becoming a dad at 16 years old. My daughter, who helps lead worship at our church, she's 21, going to be 22. I'm 38. Again, do the math. People are like, you're too young to have a kid that old. And I am. (laughs) But that is when the Lord finally broke through my heart of stone after two, two years of being a churchian, you know, just playing the church game, finally surrendering. And then there was this crazy just progression of what God did in my life. And I've had these stages. And I, th- I think about the family, Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus family. Jesus was pretty tight with. Always hanging out with them. Probably playing Catan at their house late night. Getting in, you know, theological conversations with Lazarus while the girls roll their eyes. You know, whatever. Hanging out with that family. Not at Jesus, of course. They're rolling their eyes at Lazarus. We don't hear much from the dude. Hear a lot from Mary and Martha. He just died and then he got brought back, but we don't hear much. It's kind of a reserved, quiet guy. But you see the situation where Martha's up serving, doing all this stuff for Jesus, making dinner, dishes, all this stuff. And then Jesus is there reclining with, with Mary at his feet, just listening to him. She's at his feet hearing his word. She's just focused. And Martha starts barking, Jesus, tell Mary to get off her butt and come and help me in the kitchen. And Jesus is like, Martha? Martha, you are so tripping about stuff you don't need to. Mary, she's, she's made the correct choice. I'm not going to take that away from her. It'll never be taken from her. It's the only thing that's necessary. And what was she doing again? Sitting at his feet, listening to what he says. She was surrendered. She was immovable. Even in serving the Lord, from letting serving the Lord be something that takes her away from the Lord which I'll tell you as a pastor is really easy. Really, really easy. I mean, too easy. I don't know, I can't speak for the other bros, but the dudes from my church, man, so often in my life, I am serving, like knowing God's want me to do something, but I'm serving without that time alone with him. And I have to frequently get the, Brian, Brian, bro, quit doing all this stuff and come right back to me at my feet. And then I like to imagine, and this is maybe a stretch, where's Lazarus? Is he at work? Maybe. Is he, like, where's he at? Is he there? I think it's reasonable to assume that he was probably there. If it's most likely evening, I mean, I don't know, maybe. And Lazarus may not be mentioned, so if, let's just say he is there. I mean, I can't say with certainty, but let's say he is there. Why isn't he mentioned? 
Maybe it's because he ain't doing nothing. (laughs) And that could represent where you're at too. Maybe you're not serving the Lord. Maybe you're not at his feet. Maybe you're just watching everybody else do that. Maybe you're here this weekend and you see Martha's all over the place. There's a whole bunch, a whole grip of Martha's here. And then you see a couple of Mary's and the whole time you're just kind of like, when's dinner ready? You know, just watching. See people just in total surrender to the Lord. You see people doing stuff, staying busy, helping out. And you're just kind of like, food's all right. Jokes were good. Preaching was okay. Worship's nice. I'm ready to go home. I'm just saying, if Lazarus was there, bro wasn't, there was nothing happening. And I think that can represent sometimes us as men too. Because there's, there's this other thing as men that we compare ourselves to other people. We're always either trying to one-up. But when we see the bar set way too high, sometimes we just decide I'm not even going to participate. If it, I, I'm not going to be like that guy. I'm not going to be used in that way. So I'm just going to sit this out and wait and see what happens. And I honestly think there's a, a, a really big number of men in the church that are just sitting and just watching. And my challenge to you today, whether you're Mary, Martha, or Lazarus, again, if, if we can apply him in this situation, the difference is that Martha made herself look busy. Mary made up her mind. She determined in herself, this is what's most important. I'm going to surrender completely to this. And then Lazarus was just like, I don't know. He hasn't made up his mind. And uh, the story just that I wanted to share was a couple years, well, right around the time I got saved, I got a job. Fast food restaurant. Um, if you're from Cali, other, other place you know, it's called In-N-Out Burger. It's the most God-blessed burger on the planet, in my opinion. If you don't know what it's like, just imagine Chick-fil-A if they did burgers, but better. Um, if you don't like it, that's cool. Everybody's entitled to be wrong. And God will right those wrongs in heaven. And between now and then, it's cool, whatever. But I worked at In-N-Out Burger for three and a half years. So kind of last couple of years of high school and then... Um, my first couple years of Bible college, and I'm a Bible college dropout, so I didn't finish. Um, but while I was there, I received more powerfully than anything I was given in Bible college. I don't remember anything, honestly, from Bible college. I don't even know if I was paying attention. But what I remember are the experiences I had working at In-N-Out Burger for almost four years. And in that time, God used me because there were nobody else there that was a Christian. So it's not because I'm cool. It's just, he's like, oh, well, we got Brian. I guess we'll use Brian. He used me to help bring half a dozen people to Christ, encourage some Christians who had fallen, and just do some crazy stuff, including endure probably still up to this day the worst persecution that I've ever personally encountered. Now, I've never been beat up for my faith. I, I don't even come close. Like, you can just... Go check out Voice of the Martyrs, and those are the those are the big ballers spiritually. I don't even come close. I'm like in the stands taking a nap. I'm not even on the court with those guys. But the most that I've ever experienced persecution-wise, and almost daily, it started with with stuff that I thought was funny. I'd be like, "Oh look, God Boy's here," you know, and then they'd throw out some Ned Flanders jokes and other stuff like that. And I, a few of those I chuckled at, 
and just this constant. They were every day, it was like, oh, good, Brian's here, this will be fun. And I'm over here flipping fries, getting stuff ready. And even one of my managers, his name was Zach, he was the fourth man in charge, would just say anything he could to try to get me frustrated. And every chance he got, he was making sexual jokes about Jesus on the cross. I mean, just the worst things that could ever be said to try to get to a Christian. One, they would either say jokes that would try to get me to laugh, dirty jokes, all kinds of stuff. And two, to see if they could get me offended. And I'm going to tell you right now, Holy Spirit credit, not for me at all, because if you know me, you know... Hey, shut up, Jeff. You don't know me. Go stand in the corner, Jeff. Just kidding. But if, if you know me, you know this is the Holy Spirit. I did not get offended. I did not get angry. It was incredible. New believer, totally surrendered. And so it would just roll off. And if they said anything, I'd say, well, actually, you know, Jesus did die on the cross, but do you understand why he did? Oh, yeah, I know why he did. You know, they just keep going on and on. And I continued to keep sharing the gospel. Dude, it was, it was rough. It was painful. Like, it was, like, just insanity. I had all four of my tires slashed at work. And the only person that could have done it, could have went to the back where this was at, would have been an employee. I had people constantly, when I was in the break room, when I was going and changing to get my uniform on, when I first come into work, oh, God boy's here. Gonna fry some fries for the Lord. And just constant, right? And then almost every time that I closed, uh, that fourth manager didn't like me. He would always schedule somebody else to close with him. Even though I kind of asked for the hours, he'd be like, nah, bacon. He even sometimes would be like, I don't like you, dude, so you're not going to close with me. You get on my nerves. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And, but one, one day, the guy that was going to close couldn't close, so he's like, all right, Bacon, you're going to close with me tonight. This was Zach, the fourth manager, and I was like, okay, cool. So we go through the day, we're busting out, and I'm praying, God, use me. I want to be, I want to work the absolute best. I'm kind of a klutz. Um, I've got a hundred stories like Fritz shared. Um, <laughs> nice thing about being short is you don't fall as far, which is good, but, um, I was just performing like above par, getting stuff done quick. You know, I'm in the back washing dishes. And then finally at the end of the thing comes in and we're next to each other doing the final things of closing and we're washing dishes and we are just busting them out, you know, and I'm, I'm scrubbing and he's drying and hanging and all that stuff. And he, he grabs a dish and he, he stops and he goes, so, so bacon. And we're a little bit ahead of schedule. So maybe he feels like he can have a conversation. He goes, so you really believe all that stuff in the Bible? And I was like, man, with all my heart. He was like, huh. You know, a few minutes later, he's like, so what's up with all that end time stuff? You know, like end of the world, all that stuff. You, you believe that? I was like, yeah, man, with all my heart. Huh. Kept moving along. And he's like, so, uh, so where does that leave a guy like me? <laughs> and then gulp <clears throat> not a good place Zach it's called the lake of fire you mean hell hell gets thrown in the lake of fire Hell's not even the end place the lake of fire he's like oh huh <laughs> a little more nervously <laughs> putting it on 
Ten minutes after that, we're sitting there and I'm just praying, sweating. This is the weirdest, most awkward thing I've ever been in, any situation. And he goes, so what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And it sparked my memory when Fritz was going through that story in chapter 16, when that jailer realized he, he had nothing to live for anymore. And he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Zach, my fourth manager, who had persecuted me more than any other human on the planet, accepted Christ right there at 1.15 a.m. at Lake Elsinore, Store 54, In-N-Out Burger. And again, as Jeff so graciously testifies, if you know me, that's nothing of me. None of that's me, except for the gulp. That's the only thing I can take credit for in that whole thing. And that's not, this, there's no way that's a brag. But it's a little taste of what God wants to do at your workplace, at your home, in your life, in my life, every day. That's the life of surrender that will make you, by the work of the Holy Spirit, unstoppable. And when the storms and and earthquakes happen, immovable. That's God's desire for you, for His sake. But it ain't going to happen for yours. We're all trying so hard to be like that, and it doesn't work. It's all a work of the flesh, even within the church. It's so tempting and so easy just to make it a work of the flesh. And some of you guys, you know we're going home. Mountaintop experience and all that stuff. Well, I want to encourage you with something. Jesus talked about mountains. And you know what he said? A little bit of faith. You'd be able to tell it, jump into the ocean. So I take that logic and say, so we're having this amazing experience on the mountain, which it is easier to stay focused up here. Crappy phone service inside the building, right? You're not, yeah, right? Praise God for that. You are not at home at work not back with the family or even serving in the church and all those other things that are your daily. And you're up here and you're focused. And Jesus took many retreats with his, with his disciples. Like they'd take off for a few days and go just somewhere weird and hang out. And that's, it's good and it's important, but that's not where real life is. This isn't where real life lives. Real life is back in your home, at your job, in your family, with all that drama that's waiting for you. So how do, you, how do you bring the mountaintop experience to the valley? Same thing, by faith. You can command this mountaintop experience to come with you down in the valley. And again, it comes back to making up your mind. I want to just suggest something that I don't know if you've thought about. Every instance I see in Scripture, and I'm sure Jason will correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, just teasing. I, I'm giving him a hard time because he seems like my kind of dude, and I just love giving him a hard time. And he always has that crap face grin whenever you say something. I love it. He is a handsome dude, though, so the, the ugly joke was just a joke. But I give him a hard time, but you, I don't see in Scripture anywhere that repentance is not public. Confession, confession can be private, right? You confess 
your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? And remove us from all unrighteousness. But when we see from the, from the baptism of John all the way to the 5,000 saved and any other saved in the book of Acts, repentance is public. It's not something that it just happens privately. There's a point when you are not going to hide this relationship or this desire. This, this Any dude that is married to a beautiful woman and doesn't want anybody to know it ain't married to a beautiful woman. I'll be bragging every day about my wife because she's the looker, I'm the reacher, you know? And in this relationship with Christ, it's, it's a billion times more. And if I am knocking at the knees just to talk about how beautiful the Lord is, it's time for some public repentance. God wants to change some things in my life and your life, and this is the best place for it to start because it, it's today. That's why. Not just because it's a men's retreat, because there's no better time than now. Today is the day of repentance, right? Now is the appointed time. Whether you're giving your life to the Lord initially, or you've got to give it back because you started taking it back. And so here in this place, I want to challenge you, as we close in worship, to really close in worship. To really be ready and determined... Not to just have an awesome experience, but to have a point of faith, a determined time when you can reference there's a turnaround. And there is, there is such a thing as a carnal Christian. Jacob shared it this morning in his, in his Devo. You can be a believer and be carnal. You can be a Christian completely changed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but not listening to the Holy Spirit. If you've never been there before, you're there. Because you're blind. But it takes... Your flesh says a little stupidity. The Spirit would say some honesty. We might even call it humility, but it's being real about who you are and where you're at. And not fronting anymore in front of the bros, trying to flex and show off and look bigger and be better. It's about being real right here and right now. And I got to repent myself. This weekend, the reason I came late Friday was because you guys can come up and start doing the little strummy thing, whatever you want to do. Um, I can't, I can't play nothing. I only play my emotions. But um, my son, who, thank God, is not like me, my son Jonah, the one that's like me, is not motivated, he's lazy, all this stuff. But Jonah, who's like his mom, is athletically gifted. Okay? Last year, took fourth in state as a freshman, which, for a bacon, that's a huge thing. This year, he went up a weight because I wouldn't let him cut anymore because I didn't want him developing some kind of eating disorder or whatever. And he had a hard time and he was sick and had an injury and this year is a whole lot harder for him. But he made it to state. So Friday, I was like, dude, I, I'm going to have to just peace out on the bros Friday because that's the first day of state. I know he's wrestling that day. If he loses twice, he's out. He won't wrestle Saturday, but I got to be there Friday. So I spent the whole day there with him Friday until he was completely done and then that's when I drove out here from Pocatello. And all his life, 
He's been an excellent athlete. He's been very good, small for his age. I don't know where that comes from either. Um, but just an excellent athlete. And I'm so grateful. But the thing that I always try to drive into him was, son, you're doing this for the glory of God, not for the accomplishment of man. And if you have an opportunity as, and a platform like wrestling to give God glory, man, use it. You are blessed. I could not do that. The only way God would be glorified is in the laughter of all the people as they saw me attempt to wrestle. But you can actually show some of his greatness through the talent that he's given you. And that was what I was always encouraging him to do. And then yesterday morning, I got the text that he lost his second match and he did not place the state. And you know, I was prepared for that. I was expecting that. I was ready for that. I was stoked with whatever God wanted to do. And I encouraged him to lose well. But when I heard that, I got angry. And my pride was hurt. And I was like, oh, he was supposed to win. Stupid. And I wanted to get upset and frustrated. And I, and I started walking in that for a bit. And then I realized, what the heck? What a hypocrite. Because I'm putting my hope and my joy my son's talent so that I got something to brag about. But guess what? I can't go around and say, you know, he's only a sophomore and he took first in state. I can't do that. I can only say he's enough like his dad that that's why he didn't. <laughs> but God is good. And I can tell you right now, my son did glorify God with his loss. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. And you're going to start here and it's going to continue when you're down there. The Holy Spirit is going to be in control and not yourself. Let's pray. And if you feel the need, you feel the need to come clean, stand up. On anything. Don't do it if you don't mean it. It doesn't mean anything. We're not commanded in the scriptures to do altar calls or anything. Not that we can't. Just That's not what it's about. It's just a real simple, easy way to make a public admittance of what's going on inside of you. Don't stand up just because there's a group of guys and now it's safe. But if there's something you need to come clean on, stand up. You've been walking in your flesh. You've been walking in your own way, your own glory. Let's end it today. Stand up if you need prayer for anything. If you could use prayer for anything, just stand up. I'm standing. If I was sitting, I'd be standing. That wasn't a short joke, but it kind of worked, but... This is where it changes. 
Because repentance also involves other people. John's repentance, he need, they needed somebody to dunk on. Our repentance to fulfill the Great Commission and make him number one, I need my brothers to Jesus actually never told us to go and plant churches. I'm not saying that it's wrong if we do, but he didn't tell us to do it. He said preach the gospel, discipling them. The church came as a result of that because the need for other believers to help you in that goal is, is why the church is there. We need our bros. Bro was talking about locking shields the other day. We need that. So if I can't be honest and real with my brothers about where I'm at, I'm going to stay right in the same place the opportunity. For those of you guys that are sitting, will you please find someone who's standing, offer to pray with them. For those of you guys that are standing, grab a dude next to you, grab somebody else. Do not leave here without praying with somebody and telling them straight up what's going on and sharing what needs to happen in your heart so that you can make up your mind, so you can surrender, so God can make you finally immovable and unstoppable. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. God for showing me my pride <laughs> how slick I think I am trying to live for my glory on the side of your glory but there's not room for both it's either yours or mine and I don't have any God remind me and show me again how I have nothing Just do it.